and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. My name is Mr. Craigers, and I'm going to be one of your hosts for tonight's show. Over there is my lovely co-host. Me, Miss Melmoy. You, yeah. I didn't know if you were taking a really long pause or not. I, I took a long pause. Okay, well, I got impatient. It, it me. <laughs> it you. And tonight is episode 63. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be doing some corrective numbering, you may have noticed. Um, and tonight, in uh, honor of the recent um, release of the first photographs of a black hole ever, yeah. we're going to talk about Event Horizon. Yes. Which has been mentioned on the show in the past and in passing um, as a ridiculous yet charming little feature from uh, the 90s, the mid-90s. And we're going to have a pretty good time with it. Um, But before we get into the main part of our episode, I feel like now is a good time, you know, coming off the booze and booze. It's sort of been a while. Like, what is Splatter Chatter? What are you listening to? So, Splatter Chatter is a twice monthly podcast hosted by Miss Mel and myself, where our goal is to spread Halloween happiness all year round and entice you, the listener, to track down some of the scariest, strangest, and most imaginative films that cinema has to offer. Uh, And sometimes we also cover things outside the realm of horror cinema, like real-life hauntings, uh, urban legends. We did an episode on that. Weird history, um, true crime. We've looked at the Golden State Killer, the Villisca Axe murders, and just general scary stories. So, welcome. And right now we're going to do some quick horror headlines, um, just... A few quick notes, what's going on in the world of horror, what have we been paying attention to, or what have we been uh, reading or watching or writing about in our own personal world of horror. So, Miss Mel, do you have anything? Um, I've been listening to some true crime podcasts. Um, I listened yeah. to Dr. Death recently. Oh, yeah. Very good. Very, very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been listening to uh, various episodes of Case File. Um, pretty good, and the host has a lovely British accent. And there's this great one called Twisted Philly that's actually a true crime podcast about uh, happenings, true crime, paranormal, folklore, etc. in Philadelphia. Ooh, cool. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, I just finished reading Pet Cemetery. Um, probably won't see the movie for a little bit, all things considered, <laughs> but um, we'll eventually get around to that. Um I didn't. I mean, I did not really like the new movie. Mm-hmm. I know, like, I know basically the, you know, obviously the trailer gave away the change in the new one. Um, so it, it seems like the rest of it is fairly similar. It's just they it switched is. the child that, that. And so the end. Yeah. The end takes a hard left swerve. And Interesting. Into very strange territory, and then it's just kind of like, for why? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. It didn't add a lot, and it got me thinking about like, oh, there's so many like bad 
unmemorable remakes uh, from like classic eighties movies in the twenty tens. Yeah, that's like there. It's we're in that that period now where I think everyone's trying to relive the eighties. And it's, you know, it's Stranger Things, it's, you know, the remakes of, you know, like some of these Disney movies, I know not all of them are from the 80s, and I feel like that's kind of the thing with all these Stephen King remakes and new adaptations now, is that we're trying to just capture that that 80s feeling. Um, that's so true. Yeah. I, uh, oh, God, remember the Poltergeist remake? Yes. Wow. I was working in a movie theater at the time, so I had to, like, work it. Um, but, uh... What was I going to say? Um, oh, uh, you know what oh, looks yeah. good on Netflix is Chambers. Chambers. Yeah, that does look pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to give that I a look-see. Make a note to ask if you had seen anything about that. Yes, I watched the trailer and I heard it was... I heard, I've heard some good things. Yeah, it looks cool. I haven't like, looked into it too much. Um, but it... It looks decent. Um, speaking of like the 80s nostalgia, American Horror Story has announced that season nine will be subtitled 1984, and it's going to be a slasher homage. So, you know, my mm-hmm. guess is very Friday the 13th-ish. Yeah. Um, which, like, again, so much potential, but... Brian Murphy's going to fuck it up somehow. Yeah. And I don't, I still don't know how I feel about slasher TV shows because I think Scream did make a good point in their like little meditation on it that because of the way slashers work, it's very hard to elongate them into a television show. But then at the same time, like talking about what a slasher is and, you know, taking away like, I guess the the compression of a film, like it seems like it would make perfect sense that it could work as a TV show because it basically becomes a whodunit with like a little bit more gore and stuff. Yeah, that's kind of the angle I think you have to take. Like something sort of like Harper's Island. Yeah. I don't know if you ever watched that. That was that was good. That was well done. Um I and I've actually really enjoyed Slasher. Yeah. Which they they have announced the third season will premiere next month on Netflix. It's called Solstice. Um, oh, I looked up the premise and now I can't. Then didn't stick. Remember, it takes place over one night. I remember that. I just can't remember, like. Oh, it's one of those. The the exact setting. Um, but yeah, and uh, Sabrina season two is rocking yes. out right now, also on Netflix. I have not yet watched, but I think you have, right? I watched half of it so far. Now I think okay. just about half. Good, very good. Mm-hmm. I um oh, I watched the first episode of the Twilight Zone reboot. Oh yes, how was that? Bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is really unfortunate because there's like a lot of big people that got Are attached they? to it, yeah. and like Peel is doing it, and is not good. Yeah. Uh, it's just that's uh, that's unfortunate. It's all. Uh, I think now with, like, Black Mirror and stuff, it'd be hard to do a Twilight Zone remake just because, you know, speculative fiction is so big right now that, like, you know, Twilight Zone was good when it was good because it was the only thing really doing what it was doing, and now, like, everything is speculative, so it's, like, just more of that. That's kind of what it was like. 
Well, and it's, and I don't know if the whole new crop of episodes is like this, but they're just re like they're just taking old classic episodes and updating them. Oh, so it's not even new stories. Yeah, like they did the the um, terror at forty thousand feet. Hmm. Is the one I watched, and <clears throat> I'm like, you're taking maybe the most iconic episode. And just because you put iPads in it, like, that doesn't... Yeah. So, I wasn't blown away. Um, But other than that... um, Oh, I've been listening to uh, a new podcast called The Murder Squad. Hmm. So true crime. And it is hosted by Billy Jensen, who helped finish... Michelle McNamara's book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh, nice. And our favorite forensic investigator from that case, Paul Holes. <laughs> Paul! <laughs> what a hero! Yes! Um, so they're hosting this new podcast together, and they're... Um, each week they're looking at a different unsolved case and they, they kind of walk through the details of that case and then they charge all the listeners to help solve it, right? Like this sort of like amateur sleuthing online sleuth community that has sprung up in the past couple of years, like mm-hmm. solving crimes and cold cases through crowdsourcing and yeah. they're kind of tasking the audience to, to join in and help them you know, connect dots and photos and picture and I don't know. It's cool. It's interesting. interesting. And Paul holds such a little cinnamon bun. He's exactly as we imagined him. He's just so precious. And he, he's like retired now and he's, he's living in Colorado. He's been talking about, he sees animals in the backyard. It makes them all happy. (laughs) And I'm like, no one deserves it more. Oh, Paul. I know. So that's a pretty good podcast. I recommend checking that out. Nice. Um, if only for those two guys, if not for your true crime fix. Did you see a while ago that there was um, a hashtag going around on Twitter about Paul Holes? Hashtag hot for holes. <laughs> did, we, did we black out and come up with I don't know, but we may have come up with the Paul Holes calendar that you can buy. <laughs> so well um yeah so that's that for what we've got going on shall we head into the main discussion we we shall okay so we're gonna start talking about event horizon uh from 1997 i want to say off the top of my head um it is yes 1997 Okay. Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, <laughs> Event Horizon. <laughs> Happy Black Hole. First of all, the fact that, because, you know, when they announced, they were like, oh, yeah, like, we saw a picture of a black hole. And, like, my one friend was like, what if it's just a demon face and Event Horizon was real? And I was like, yeah, that'd be funny. Then I found out the entire project was called, like, the Event Horizon Telescope Network. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my god. Like, well, that's unacceptable. Yeah. Um, so, Miss Mel, 
our listeners probably don't know. They may have gleaned some clues over listening to us, but you're quite the space nerd, are you not? I am. <laughs> so do you want to give us maybe a little bit of background on that and then start sort of walking us through uh, the film? Um, sure. I like me some space. Um, read me some, some Stephen Hawking, amongst other things. Is that what got you interested in it? No, I don't know. I just won. I just love. Like I read Stephen Hawking and that sort of stuff because I was interested in in it, and I was like, I want to understand it. You know, I had a telescope when I was a kid. My parents got me a telescope, um, so I don't know if that was it. But um, yeah, I know. Like I can't pinpoint a time where I was like, now is the moment mm-hmm. where the rest of my life is about space. It wasn't like oh. <laughs> went to the air and space museum and suddenly all was changed the thing is is i just always i just always loved looking up at the sky like at night that was like just a thing that i love doing um and like i'll still do it like we'll be out and about and i'll just be like oh oh, what can we see um you know and that sort of thing and then like i think just because i was like a very studious kid like i had all these books about like ancient egypt and like all these other things i was interested in so like when i was like space I need to understand it to the fullest extent that I can understand it. Like, it's like, I'm not like, I, I'm one of those people. And I think Mr. Kruger's is too, to a certain extent where when you like something, you have to like go into its very soul. Yeah. And tunnel like, to, to, to its core. Know um, everything you possibly can about it. So to me, I loved looking up at the night sky enough that I was like, now I need to understand everything. And it turns out um, when hunting for the answers in space and, and studying space things, it actually entangles pretty ridiculously with, you know, like the nature of the known universe and that sort of thing. <laughs> it's not just about space. It's about everything. Um, so that's kind of, kind of cool. Um, the black hole good, like, um, professor answer for like intro to astronomy or something. <laughs> we have space isn't just about space. This is the study of everything. Yeah, well, that's what it's that called. Um, that's it's called the theory of almost everything because it's it's also called M theory, but like people will colloquially refer to it as the theory of almost everything because we've almost got it. We're missing a few parts. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I love me some space. I do like black holes too, in particular. Um, they're pretty interesting. Um, <clears throat> they're very misunderstood. Um, <laughs> so what is a black hole? So a black oh. hole is um so like people will correct you aside like, from a really fun gay bar down on U Street. Interesting. <laughs> Put a pin in that. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so black when if you looked at the picture of the black hole, like you probably saw a couple people correcting you to say like, well, it's, you're not looking at the black hole; you're looking at its shadow. Because yeah, technically you can't see it because it's it's a gaping black hole against a black background you can only really see its effects but you can see we can see black on black yeah so it's Um, the most chic thing we could find it is the chicest gayest part of space um is the black hole um and basically what it is as far as we understand it is something at the center of the black hole is so like is basically like imagine something the size of the sun and the density and the well not the density but the weight and the size of the sun compressed into a tiny little marble and Mm. that's what's at the center of a black hole and that's why it's so powerful because it's something huge that's that has the same gravitational pull, just made really, really small. 
Um, so it just like nothing can escape it. Like, and you know, people like misinterpret like, oh, like light gets sucked into it. It's not necessarily that. And even you, if you were in a spaceship, wouldn't necessarily get sucked into the black hole. You just get caught in its gravity and just be stuck going around in a circle um, for forever. And that's like what's at the center of most galaxies is a giant black hole because we're all just tethered to it, just spinning around in a circle, hanging out. Can't escape. It's too, it's too massive. It's too much. Um, but, you know, there's all these theories about what's inside of a black hole. You know, what is that thing of infinite density that's causing causing this? And, you know, it is a true theory that it might be an alternate universe, a, a gateway to, you know, the multiverse. Because it's what's at the center of the black hole matches a lot of what we've predicted maybe existed before the Big Bang. Right? The entire universe squished into something the size of, you know, your thumb and it suddenly exploded. So far, no black holes have, have done that, except maybe ours, who knows. Um, but the point is, is that they're weird um, and they're pretty yeah. scary. They're pretty scary because, you know, there's that whole thing where once you pass the event horizon, you won't ever get back out again. Um, and now, what is the event horizon? So the event horizon is the point of no return on a black hole. Um, it is the point uh, where the gravity. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my my updated version. Um, so the, yeah, the event horizon is the the point of no return on a black hole, where basically, like you go from orbiting it and kind of being trapped in its gravity to just you're going you're yelling timber. Okay. Um, and there's things. It's kind of like so think of it. Give up hope. It's... Yeah. Yes, and um, think of it as kind of like the edges of the borders of like what you might in your mind think of as the black hole. Um, like it's like you cross that and then you're just falling into it, like you're done, like it's, it's lights out. Um, and the event horizon is bordered by, you know, the you saw in the picture the light, um, especially if you looked at all the pictures, like they, they released one where they showed like all 50 pictures that they used as a conglomerate to create the one that we saw, but you can see the light moving around in a counterclockwise motion around the event horizon because the light um, is trapped there, um, which is wild to think that even light, you know, something that's that's pure energy um, can, can be held down by gravity, but that's how we find out about things like dark matter. We can't see it, but we know it's there because it's affecting things around of it. Fun fact, 90% of the galaxy is made up of dark matter. We don't know what it is. It's a novel by Blake Crouch. It is. And it's, uh, I think they talk about it in his dark materials. Dark yeah, matter is like a, is like dust, it's, which, is, yeah, it's, which is shit. But basically a black hole. to dust. Or dust is dark matter. <clears throat> the angels and shit. I don't know. But to sum it all up, a black hole is, think of the sun pressed into a tiny marble. Um, and it just wants to eat everything. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes playing marbles so much more exciting. Yeah, you know, black holes hitting each other. Um, Smacking off each other. Because of the density of them, the, the theory is that black holes are created by suns, stars that implode on themselves. Um, like there's different types of stars that instead of supernovaing or after they supernova, they can suck back in and become a black hole. Um, it's so just yeah. it's gayer by the minute. Lots of sucking. Yeah. <laughs> so I like it. Mm-hmm. 
Fantastic. So that is a black well, thank hole. Thank you for helping us have a general understanding. Mm-hmm. Now that we've got that background, what's going on in the film? Oh, boy. So <laughs> we begin. First of all, I love how every, like, every 90s and 80s sci-fi film assumed we'd be so much more advanced <laughs> right. than we were. Um, because it's the year 2047 and we're colonizing, you know, not just, you know, like the moon, like fucking out to Neptune, which is not, <laughs> not possible. Yeah, but, right. But basically we learned at the beginning of this film that there was this uh, ship called the Event Horizon that was out doing some colonizing, um, out near like Neptune or something. Yeah, it wasn't, it was just past Neptune. Yeah, it was, it was meant to go out to a um, star outside of our solar system um, and it disappeared uh, and it never and, and you know no one ever heard from it it was considered like one of the worst space disasters in history seven years later now uh, we learn that it has reappeared outside Neptune um, in a decaying orbit which means that it's orbiting Neptune but um, it's falling to the planet so it's it'll eventually like that's that's what a decaying orbit is, but it's just orbiting the planet and it's sending out like a distress signal, um, and our our crew on the Lewis and Clark has been sent to see what's what. See what's what. Yeah. And uh, you wanna you wanna tell us who who makes up the crew? What's who's been doing sure. what? Sure. Mm-hmm. So our crew is head is. Um, Commanded by uh, Captain Miller, who's played by the great Lawrence Fishburne. Mm, this was bef- this was before the Matrix, because Matrix was ninety nine, right? Yeah. This was his prep for <laughs> years before the Matrix. For what was the name of their ship in the Matrix? The Nebuchadnezzar. This yeah. was his prep for being the captain of the Nebuchadnezzar. He probably shortly after this movie came out was contracted and started filming. Yeah, he yeah yeah. So they might have even looked at this and said, "Hey, do." You- this is our guy. Yeah. Um, so he is in charge. Uh, underneath him on, uh, on the ship of the Lewis and Clark, we have um, Peters, who is a uh, med tech. We have uh, Cooper, who is a rescue tech. Everyone's a tech. DJ is the doctor. Smitty is the pilot. Uh, uh, Justin is the, the engineer. Edmund, who's Edmund? Is there an Edmund? Sorry, I'm just this off the list. I don't remember an Edmund. Um, he was cut from the. He must have been cut. Uh, John, uh, another commanding officer, and um. Oh, is Edmund the guy? He's. Is he the burned guy? Oh, okay. Yes. My bad, kiddos. So Edmund is not on the on the crew of the Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Um, I think that's the rest of the crew from this character list. And um, Stork. accompanying with them on this. Oh, did I miss Stark? No, I was just saying Stork. Oh. Stork. Stork. Um, and accompanying the crew of the Lewis and Clark um, is Doctor uh, Billy Weir. Wire. Weir. Weir. Yeah. Weir. Um, played by. Great horror icon um, Sam Neill, and we find out shortly into the journey um, that there's tension 
between uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill's characters. And there's a little bit of a question of, okay, what is, why is there tension? Why is he here? What's, what's going on? Um, why is he coming with this rescue crew heading out to Neptune to find out what's going on with the vent horizon? And we learned that it's because Sam Neill's character actually built uh, the event horizon. Looking back on it, I think I assumed he was a medical doctor, and I'm thinking the doctor was a PhD. <laughs> so I'm like, why is a medical doctor designing ships? Probably wasn't, is the answer. Probably wasn't. Although, I mean, some people just have all kinds of interesting hobbies. Talents. Could you imagine if like, your main job was like, I'm an engineer, but I go by doctor because I got my MD. Because I got my MD, just, you know, on the side. It's like when Ross was in the hospital, and he's like, yes, I'm Dr. Ross Geller. And she was like, you can't say that. Hey, it means something It actually here. means something here. <laughs> anyway, yes. This is, this is anyway. our crew. Yeah, so that's the crew. And, um... Uh... So the Lewis and Clark makes their way to... To the event horizon, and they sort of like on board and uh, send out some of the crew to search the ship. Um, obviously, no one's expecting any survivors. And do they find any survivors? No. But what they do find um, are several uh, mangled dead bodies in zero gravity and a very strange chamber containing a very strange device. And what do we learn about this device? It's wild. So it's this big spinning, like imagine the, the opening sun thing in Game of Thrones. Like it's basically that, like, yeah. but like the gothic version. <laughs> um, but we learn from Dr. Ware, or at least we, we learn earlier in the film that, um, they, the ship, like, I guess, wasn't, like, they were told it was supposed to go out colonizing, but it actually had a secret mission to open a portal um, to to the, the Proxima Centauri, that galaxy they were talking about, because they were the, trying to achieve faster than light travel, which is not possible for many reasons I can tell you about, but they named some of them in the well, film. Excuse me, by 2047, it will be. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, they name some of them in the film and it's not exactly, it's not that they're, they're going faster. It's a, the, they call it a gravity drive, you know, a nice sci-fi term, but basically what it does is it opens up a, a wormhole in space, um, where you can basically just fold. And this is like a real thing, right? Like the fastest point between two points is not a straight line. It's no space at all. Right. Um, and you see this in um, Interstellar actually had like what is considered to be one of the most realistic depictions of a wormhole um, when they travel out into the far reaches. It basically just folds your your distance, um, which is what this thing was supposed to do. But it did. It, it, it didn't. Um, it <laughs> it seems like it uh, it generated. We learn an artificial black hole. Um, and now the crew is either missing or floating dead in zero space. But um, our boy, I know him as the, a different character from a different movie. Um, but his name, the little guy, Justin. Oh, no, Justin. Not Justin. Is it Justin? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Justin uh, goes out is like goes out on his own because they're all like going around. They're poking shit. They're seeing what's what, and he comes across this giant gothic version of the Game of Thrones logo, and he does what any white person in a horror Goth film, Goth of Thrones, any what any white person in a horror film would do. And he reaches out and he touches it because it's like this weird black sheet, it seems, or mirror of some sort. He touches right. it and it's kind of weird. It's like a liquid. He's not sure. Um, and then he gets yanked in. <laughs> he just goes right in. Um, and uh, he gets pulled out by by one of the engineers. Um, I'm going to say it's Smitty? think so he gets pulled out and he's like catatonic and stuff um and it's really freaked out and rightfully so Lawrence Fishburne is like nobody's allowed to touch it um don't do it because they don't you know they were like what the fuck was that um another interesting point is they're working on deciphering the um the message that they got from the event horizon it's just all these weird screams and this guy speaking in a language they can't understand but luckily our doctor by way of being a medical doctor understands a little bit of latin and tells us that um the phrase is that this person is saying is save me which doesn't bode well yep that's when I go goodbye yeah and I'm just going to escape jettison myself out of there um, but Justin, uh, Justin's knocked out and, um, he, is it now that he, it's a little later, he's knocked out now and then a little bit later they have to put him in stasis. But why do they have to put him in stasis? Because whatever Justin saw when he was pulled through the black goo, black goo, that goo is so traumatizing that he can't bear to live in this world. So he tries to take his own life. And in order to prevent him from harming himself, they have to put Justin in stasis. Yes. He, uh, he puts himself in the airlock and tries to just do that to himself, I guess. Oh my gosh. Like go to the medical bay and get a scalpel kills or, <laughs> or a scalpel. Or I mean, that. <laughs> less ways to do that. Yes. But. But the, the rest of the crew starts experiencing some things too. They do. Even though they didn't black goo it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the common thing that the people on the crew start to experience are hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Um, usually involving traumatic events from their past or uh I don't know, like manifestations of their guilt. We've got um, Lawrence Fishburne is, he sees the um, former crew member that he like let die on an old mission and he feels guilty about that. And um, the med tech is, sees her son um, on the medical table. And Sam Neill starts having these visions uh, of his wife. Um, but, What's interesting about these visions is that um, when all of these people appear to our heroes, they're missing their eyes. Mm-hmm. And well, that's pretty creepy. Yeah. So as this is all going uh, about, 
we start piecing together and getting more answers of what happened to the crew of the event horizon. Um, there's a discovery of a video log buried deep in um, the ship's mainframe. I don't know. <laughs> it's the mainframe. Don't judge me. I'm going to assume it's the like space version of a black box. Yeah, they find it in the space box. And they, what they see is the crew going batshit on each other and just tearing each other to pieces. And um, the captain, I believe the Edmund, who I mentioned earlier, ends the video by taking out his own eyes. And um, yeah, he like weirdly holds some of the cameras like, look at my eyes. Yeah, look, look what I have. I got some eyeballs. It's squishy. <laughs> and he says something else creepy in Latin. Um, it's like hell. Something about hell. Um, <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah. And so uh, Lawrence Fishburne and um, someone else, I can't remember who, they hold on. The doctor <laughs> figure out who's doing what. Jason, Jason Isaacs, Lucius Malfoy. Um, they piece together that what happened with the gravity drive was that, as Miss Mel said, it did not function as a wormhole. It opened a gateway into a parallel universe or another dimension. Something outside the realm of this reality. And they theorize, or someone else jumps in and theorizes, that because of that opening, the ship has become sort of haunted or possessed by some sentient entity from this other dimension and that it is what's causing the hallucinations and that it's basically haunting the crew of the Lewis and Clark in an attempt to get them to turn on each other and go mad and kill themselves as what happened to the crew of the event horizon. So Lawrence Fishburne is like, fuck that noise. <laughs> That's in motion, a plan to blow up the event horizon. And of course the gravity drive, with it. So the crew starts getting ready and everyone is assigned their various tasks to make this happen. Some people are recovering files and data and some people are doing other th mopping, doing other things. There's the explosives are being together, but then we're is like, no, you can't do this. And Lawrence Fishman is like, fuck you. Yes, I can. And then things start to really go south. Yes. So they, first of all, they, you know, in their need to go about and ready everything for everything, they obviously do that thing where they separate. Yeah. Um, and they're all over the ship. They're all over the ship. They're all, they're all across two ships because some of them are on Advent Horizon, some of them are on Lewis and Clark, and they're all just being tormented um, by different things. Um, no one more so than Dr. Ware, who's starting to get really weird and attached to the Event Horizon. And he doesn't want to leave. Um, and it's just being really weird. Eventually he ends up killing the doctor. He attacks him. Um, well, no, he, he, he kills, he kills Peters first, I think. 
Which one's Peters? Peters is the woman who keeps seeing her son. Oh, yeah. Um, she sees, she keeps hallucinating her son. She falls to her death. Um, Weir has gouged out his own eyes like a weirdo. Um, and he takes one of the explosive devices from the Lewis and Clark because basically, or he takes one of them from the Event Horizon because the Event Horizon is a ship in two pieces. The gravity drives in the back and the actual ship's in the front and there's a bridge connects them with explosives on it as a way to basically detach itself from the gravity drive if something goes wrong and they can use the front of the ship as a lifeboat. So they decide that's what they're going to do. They're just going to blow the whole thing up. But Gouge dies. Weir takes one of the explosives, puts it on the Lewis and Clark. That's what they called him in college. Yeah. He finally got around to living up to his nickname. Yeah. Um, he puts it on Lewis and Clark. He attacks DJ. He kills him and, like, strings him up and does some weird shit and takes out his intestines and all this other stuff. Pinhead would be proud. Yes. Um, yeah, no, this is very much like, let's take a look into the Cenobite realm in space. Um, Miller, the engineer, um, confronts Dr. Weir. He, like, tries to, you know, get at him, um, and, uh, basically loses and then finds the, the bomb just in time for it to explode on the Lewis and Clark, destroying their getaway vehicle, um, and it knocks Cooper, who's been out on a spacewalk, off into the distance. And then he, like, does the original Iron Man Martian move to get himself back to the ship. Um, meanwhile, um, Weir and... Um, or I guess Miller... No, Miller wasn't the... Who, I forget who the engineer was. Miller's the captain. Duh. Whoever the engineer was died. Miller and Weir are now having a, a confrontation on the bridge. Um... Because Weir has started the the initiated the sequence that turns on the gravity drive so that they can get sucked back into, you know, whatever hellish dimension they came from and um, go back home, as he says. And um, it all kind of goes to shit because the bridge, the, the glass breaks, there's some deep compression, there's some nonsense... Um, and there's a, there's a chase sequence and a fighting sequence into where, um, Miller is forced back into the, the room with the gravity drive. Like, the ship forces him that way by way of fires and explosions, because he's been seeing the specter of a former crewmate that he let die, um, by burning in a fire when they were in space, because he had to save the rest of the crew, and he let this guy die, and he's been carrying guilt over it. So now Miller is trapped in the room with the gravity drive, and Weir, who now has his eyes back, um, but his face yeah. is, his whole entire body is covered in, like, lacerations that appear to be, like, kind of, like, symbols and all sorts of stuff, and he's just completely gone insane. Um, and what, what do they do in the gravity drive room? So, the gravity drive activates, and there's a big old fight scene... Mm-hmm. And uh, um, the ghosts are appearing and, and taunting and this and that. And um, it's basically the, the final showdown, right? The final battle. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne Miller is able to literally confront his demons to confront... Uh, Dr. Weir in the same confrontation 
and he um, triggers the explosives and dies. R.I.P. Yeah. Because he's self-sacrificing and that's what he does. So, with all of that going on, uh, and um, the black hole, not black hole, the gravity drive having been activated, the explosion separates the two halves of the ship and the rear section containing the gravity drive and all the evil is uh, pulled into the black hole and destroyed. Our two survivors are uh, Lieutenant Stark and uh, Coop, the rescue tech. They safely make it back aboard the Lewis and Clark and put themselves into stasis. We've still got Justin there as well um, in his induced Oh, yeah, com- they, they put him in his little thing. Yeah. And just... Uh, and, so, and so go into stasis to wait to be rescued. We get a little um, blurb that uh, 72 days later, um, their ship is boarded by a rescue party. They discover the crew. Um, but when Stark wakes up, she sees Dr. Weir posing as one of the rescuers and freaks out. And then she wakes up again because it was a it was a fake out. It was a tricky, tricky one. It's a tricky, tricky, tricky. And she's being comforted by Cooper. Um, she's really terrified. One of the uh, rescuers calls to have her sedated, and then uh, the doors close, and oh, the credits dun, dun. roll. And that's Event Horizon. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's pretty ridiculous. It's one of those films that very much has like a bunch of lost footage that we're never going to see because supposedly it was a lot gorier yeah. and more terrible. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, basically the film, like the, the idea of it was to take a haunted house um, premise and set it in space. Like just basically take all that the evil the evil house and put it on a on a spaceship and they um, incorporated bits from the haunting from the shining um, from Alien uh, they all kind of they threw it all together to create um, this kind of uh, yeah, motif. So let's, let's talk about that. Like, I guess it's kind of an elephant in the room sometimes when people talk about this movie because it rips off no way around it. A lot of better films like The Haunting, like Alien, um, Hellraiser, 2001, Space Odyssey, The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't, but that, it's still not bad. Yeah, no. I mean, it does it. It does it in a way that it does it well. I think. Yeah. Or at least it does it to where it's entertaining. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. Um, but yeah, no. So it does. Like, it basically is a, a giant conglomerate of a bunch of different haunted house films set in space. Um, but there was this ten week editing period. Um, for the first cut of the film where, or they were supposed to have 10 weeks because that's what the like director's guild requires them to have. And it got cut short because of how long production took. So they were, um, 
they did it on a compressed schedule of like six weeks or something like that um, to get the, the final version ready because they wanted to get it out before Titanic, weirdly. I don't know what those two things have to do with each other. Um, but the result was like, it, it was poorly edited, the special effects were unfinished, it was, the sound mixing was bad, and it got like really bad reviews and test screenings. Um, and it's one of the reviews outside of like the technical issues was that like it had so much gore. Like they were like, this is too gory, this is too disgusting. Um, somebody, they were claiming that people were fainting in the, um, the test audiences. So Paramount, who at this point had stopped looking at the dailies, like, was like, okay, I guess we need to take a look at, at what's going on here. Um, and they were like, oh my God, we agree. This is a horrific film and forced Anderson to, to cut it down. Um, and, and it does have good gore. Yeah, it does. Yeah, what's left in the film is pretty good. Um, but basically, he cuts it down, it gets set for release, and the 10 minutes that got cut out um, are, are lost to, to the, the ether where all lost footage goes. Um, <laughs> like, there's been talks over and over again about the possibility of, you know, being like, oh, are you going to release it? Because he thought maybe... He, he had it, and then he was like, no, I don't have it. Like, it's gone forever, but maybe I do have it, and, like, just all this other stuff. And now, at this point, he said unequivocally, it's gone. There will never, you know, whatever the footage was on, it's on a format that can't be played anymore, or it's just been destroyed, etc. Um, well, he should have put it on a CD-ROM. Yeah. It'll still work in 2047. Yes, yeah. They The black box that they pull this stuff from uh, is a CD-ROM. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the storage. That didn't age well. Um, yeah, it's the storage or, or, of the future. How about when, in the beginning when they have all the, um, like the magazines and paper photographs? Yeah. Walls and stuff? Like, really? Again, that's what's so funny about watching... Um, like old 80s and 90s sci-fi predict like 2023 and like a it's either way more advanced than than it is or they're like oh yeah this thing that's a new technology for us now will obviously be the thing of the future mm-hmm. um there's no way it could advance yeah but um yeah, so that's lost. But what's interesting too, I guess, in like what I always find fascinating is how much they put in um, like religious iconography throughout the two ships. Like they purposefully like incorporated um, these symbols and this architecture from various religions all over the world um, to give it that sense of like uh, you know just that kind of specific sort of almost like the exorcisty type of like ancient evil um feeling uh even though it's weird that they're speaking latin in a black hole that probably predates latin but you know we we take what we can get um but yeah a lot when it's an interesting film in that regard because it is like a total ripoff of a bunch of different films but it doesn't do it poorly no um, and I think it does manage to make some things some things its own even though it's basically like Hellraiser in space with the haunting and some other things. And some alien and a dash mm-hmm. of the shining. Yeah. 2001 mixed in at the end. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's not poor. I just think it's obvious. Oh, yeah. It's, when yeah. it's borrowing. And I think that's part of the reason it, pro it probably part of the reason why it tanked so bad um, in 97 and why it was so widely panned. But if you can get past the roadblocks and just sort of enjoy the ride, mm -hmm. it's it's fun. Um, it's got great sets. That's that sort of like steampunk slaughterhouse cocktail that they've got going on. Yeah. Um, the chamber for the gravity drive in particular, I think, is a cool set. Uh, There's like unnecessary water down there. Yeah. It's fast, you know, there's no real dead moments at all. Um, and the atmosphere's pretty good. Like, there's a strong sense of dread right from the... Yeah, the, the first shot is um, where having that dream of some disfigured man floating in a cockpit yeah. and then he, you know, bursts awake as, as you do. Yeah, that's a really good opening. Um. And good, uh, good cast, you know. I mean, you've got Lawrence Fishburne, you've got Neil, like, it's great. It's great. Got, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's an enjoy, it's like literally one of those films that was, like, destined to be a cult film because it came out and it got trashed and now everyone's like, remember this? This was fun. It was fun. And I mean, the, uh, there's a good couple sequences, like, when they you know, watching the video, um, the eye gouging, the, um, the recording with the screaming in the Latin, like, mm -hmm. there are moments in this film that are genuinely unsettling. Yeah, when, um, Justin tries to kill himself in the airlock, like, that entire yeah. thing's, like, really terrifying. Yeah. And I always like good you know, like a haunted house story where the location itself is antagonistic. Yeah, you know? it's like a next level gothic type thing. Yeah. It's the, it's the it's Hill House in space. Um, I wonder... I wonder what it would be like if the cut footage survived. Like, I right? wonder... And I'm also like, are you lying to me? Like, does it exist? <laughs> right, he's just trying to save face. Like, I'm trying to imagine... Because more or less, it works really well as is. Because I know that's why it's really, really fast, because a lot was cut. But yeah. I'm just like, oh... Sure, there might have been other stuff that could have expanded on things, but would it have just been, like, padding? Would it have just been fluff? I don't know. Yeah, or even just the, that version of gore, whatever that is. Like, fluff gore, or just gratuitous yeah. gore, I guess is what it would be. <laughs> is like, we have a word for that, actually? Fluff gore. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I mean, without knowing, I guess, like, there's no way to know if something was lost in the story, but I think it all, like, makes sense and is pretty paced pretty well and the stakes raise very quickly the tensions there from the beginning um but yeah no it would be very interesting to be like well what is the extra 10 minutes like do we see more of what's you know the world inside the black hole do we see more of what happened to the crew you know yeah it, so it's it would be i always you know no matter what like whenever somebody says there's lost footage to a movie i'm like ah. <laughs> 
Watch so. the storm. Watch yeah. the storm. And the reason, the only reason I'm like, are you lying to me is because so many times he was like, we found it. We didn't find it. We found it. We didn't found it. No, we're not going to. You're never going to see it. Like, it's like, just, come on. Yeah, the back and forth makes it interesting. Although, Anderson is, is probably because Anderson is weird enough that I'm sure there was a lot of uh, that gratuitous gore. Like, I believe that that was there. Yeah, and it was that time period, right? Like, you know, you're in a post-Hellraiser world where you just want to just have, have um, what is it called? Um, something porn. Oh, splatter porn. Something, something like that. Point yeah. is, is it's just gratuitous, ridiculous gore. Yeah. And there, there is something to be said, sort of critically and academically, about that, um, and even torture porn as well. I'm actually in the camp where I don't believe torture porn is a thing, but that's an entirely different episode. <laughs> Um, but it's, you just, it's always a creative risk, you know, and an artistic gamble because a lot of people don't take to it well. Um, even the sanitized version though, like, as we've said, is pretty, pretty yeah, grotesque. It is. And it's interesting because it's not even like, there are scenes that are like gore gore in the sense that there's intestines hanging out, but a lot of it is just like. A lot of blood and blood in zero G, which looks creepier than you'd think it would. And like, yeah. you know, weird, just weird stuff. Yeah. Weird stuff. Yeah. But it's good stuff. It taps into some good fears. Yeah, some exciting things. Yeah. I like that how you mentioned about um, the religious iconography throughout. Yeah, yeah, they took the time to to really make designs and design the ships in a way that like evoked like temples and sanctuaries and that sort of thing just to get at kind of that like weird fear I think we have and that mistrust of like the ancient origins I think of belief systems and that sort of thing. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. Space. Space guys. Space guys. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, if there's nothing else you're dying to add. No, I think I, I think I got it all. Yeah. Do you recommend people give it a watch? Um, I do. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, honestly, like, and, you know, maybe I have a different, um, you know, take than everyone else, but I don't think it's all that gory, like, compared to some of the really gory things out there, compared to even, like, Hellraiser or something like that. Like, I think it's fairly handleable for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's it's a fun sci-fi. It is truly a sci-fi horror film. Um, yeah. And uh, you don't, you see a lot of things saying that they're that, but this, this truly is that. This is, like, for all that it is a copycat and a mix of a lot of other better movies, it's still weirdly, like, I feel like, this is the prime example of sci-fi horror, mm -hmm. you know? Cause like it's stealing from movies that were sci-fi and stealing from movies that were horror and then putting them together. Yeah. And I think a lot of movies after it, like you said, like say that they're doing that, but they're not quite 
doing what Event Horizon did. Yeah. Yeah. So I would I would def recommend if you're even a little bit interested after this, or even before this, I would I would recommend. Before we all get sucked into a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Down maybe. Down Who knows? New Street. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, if you want to talk to us about all things Event Horizon, uh, movie or scientific astrological phenomenon, there's a lot of ways you can do that. Mm-hmm. Smell's going to tell you how. I will. So you can email at us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at splatterchatter666 on Twitter, minus all the vowels when you're searching that. But if that's too difficult, we'll just pop right up. You can find us on Instagram at splatterchatter666, on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. You can find Mr. Prager's blog at splatterchatter666.blogspot.com, and he will let you know how you can help even further. If you want to show your love and support for this show, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can head on over to Patreon. Splatterchatter666 is our page. Find out all sorts of information about the show. Our three different tiers, one, five, or ten dollar pledges a month and the various rewards you could get for showing financial support to the show. If you're not in a position for that, we'll still take ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or SoundCloud. These are all the different platforms where you can find the show. We'll take your love in any way you want to show it. Yeah. Or, your, or your helpful critiques. Yeah. yeah. So, that's going to wrap up our adventure into the great beyond of our solar system and when we come back we're going to be talking about something more earthbound i assume yeah um and we will let you know what that is when we figure it out (laughs) when we figure it out but until such a time our fantastic listeners we want to remind you guys to keep up the creep out there and until we see you again We're going to sign off saying au revoir, adios, and dust.